Good morning, Mercy. You know, I, I got to laugh, man. I hadn't seen, I saw that the first service, but I hadn't seen like the, the introduction. And my wife was singing this morning and one of my daughters. And um, if you don't know me, you've probably seen me on the drums. Um, but today I've been blessed uh, to serve you in a different way and bringing the word in our, our second uh, sermon series, our second sermon in the series, Redeemed Villains. But I had to laugh because I got some people here that are being villains to me right now, just in a playful way. <laughs> My phone's blowing up with text threads. And my daughter, my youngest daughter, Julia, put a uh, Julia was here sign on my back this morning <laughs> before the first service. I'm just like, is this my villain origin story? Is this just a, is this go with the servant? I don't know. but Appreciate everybody coming out today. Um, I grew up, I'm a, I'm a late 80s baby, grew up in the 90s, watching a lot of 90s uh, hero villain-esque kind of shows. My dad, um, he used to do a lot of tracing and drawing, and he had this old box of Fantastic Four comics. And we would read the comics, and then we'd sit down and trace and draw and stuff. And I remember Saturday morning cartoons. After we do that, I'd get my cereal bowl of Fruit Loops or Tricks or whatever. If you insert your cereal of choice, there's like 40,000 of them. And I'd, I'd watch uh, series like Batman the Animated Series or X-Men the Animated Series. Uh, any anime fans in the house, shows like Sailor Moon. I was talking to somebody after the first service, uh, Mobile Wing Gundam, you know, like all these different shows. And this was actually before uh, we had this thing called streaming. So we had to like actually sit through the commercials. And I know how much my kids love doing that. You know, they're the streaming generation. I figure I'll throw that out there. But that was my like introduction. And, and I've loved every, like my favorite type of media like to consume is like superhero related. So anything DC, Marvel, um, I love it all, love it all. So when I was looking at the, the sermon series and this one came up, Redeemed the Villains, I was like, ooh, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, right? <laughs> it just like piqued my interest and I was like, yeah, I want to preach on that. And then Gary was like, Moses. I'm like, Moses? <laughs> I was going to give me Pharaoh or somebody, like an actual like real villain, like villainous. But as I looked at Moses, um, Moses is one of the, the greatest, arguably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. So when I looked at it, I was like, okay, Moses being a villain, um, it's like, okay, redeemed villains, okay. It got me thinking that some of the most long-standing, like long-term, memorable villains um, are the ones that, that tug on your heartstrings the ones that kind of get you like emotionally, where you can know their backstory and you maybe can understand or see why they turned out the way that they did. Doing a little reading, there's a trope in this superhero, uh, supervillain genre called the tragic villain. And a tragic villain is an evil character whose actions are at least partly explained by a very sad backstory. Or maybe a former hero who was forced to commit a necessary evil and occasionally, um, he, do they do any kind of villainy, and they were in a situation where they never really forgave themselves. It sent them kind of on a path of, of destruction or darkness. And they decided to continue in that um, because they felt like they were beyond hope or beyond redemption, that they were uh, beyond salvation. So when I'm looking at this, there was one villain that popped into my mind. And I know I got some Star Wars fans in the house, so you'll appreciate this. Anakin Skywalker. 
And I know, we, as we know, um, he turns into Darth Vader. But there's this, if you look at the, the prequel stories, the prequel trilogy, um, it goes through the life of this little boy and turns into a teenager young man and ends with him becoming Darth Vader. And I got a little, um, a little excerpt here from GamerRant.com just to give you a little of the story, a little bit of the story of Anakin. Since the plight of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader is told across six Star Wars movies, although the original trilogy saw Vader as the main antagonist as he attempted to destroy the rebellion and bring his son to the dark side, but at the end he does redeem himself for his actions upon his death. Anakin never deserved to become the villain in the first place. Born into slavery, he was rescued by a Jedi, um, even though the Jedi Council didn't want him to be raised as a hero. They said he was too old, and later he blames himself for leaving his mother behind as she was taken and killed by Tusken Raiders. And finally, he was manipulated by Chancellor Palpatine, Darth Sidious with the Sith Lightning and all of that. And he was turned to the dark side with the promise that he could save his love and he could save his mom and he could protect his family if he turned to the dark side. And that's from GamerRant.com. As I said, Moses is regarded as one of, if not the greatest Old Testament prophet in the Bible. So it was kind of hard. It might be hard to look at Moses as the villain. But I think if we look at Moses, especially in our text for today, we'll be in the book of Exodus. In this part of his life, we will read in the text, um, and I think we'll see a little bit of villainy uh, coming from our man Moses, Moses this morning. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history, a little bit of context, because I don't want you all to say like, Hey, he's making stuff up and just talking. So I like to give you context and what the scriptures say. And the thing about it, there's a lot in the Bible about Moses. Like, and I don't want to really talk about from Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy and some of Joshua because this is my first time preaching Sunday morning here, and I'm sure I'll never be asked to preach here again if I, pre- if I preach that entire... I mean, some of y'all got Vikings games to get to, right? Yeah. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of summary here before we get into our main text. Moses was born at a time when the Israelites, they were uh, actually uh, friends and at peace with the, with the Egyptians. And this was because of Joseph. Joseph in the Technicolor Dream Coat, any coat of many colors, right? So he had favor with the current pharaoh, and because of that, his people also had favor. But when that pharaoh died, the new pharaoh actually hated the Israelites, and he felt threatened by them, and he actually ended up enslaving um, the Israelites. And we read in Exodus 1 and 22, it says, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw him into the Nile, but let every girl live. That was the decree and the command from the Pharaoh of that time during Moses' birth. So in society, this is what's happening as Moses is born. So his mother, some of us know the story, his mother takes him, puts him in the bulrush, sends him up the river. Miraculous story. Sends him up the river, and he ends up getting being found by uh, the Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopts him. And Moses actually ends up growing up in the Pharaoh's household as Pharaoh's adoptive grandson. Uh, Josephus, a first century scholar, and there's some other literature out there that they actually say that Moses was probably in line to be the next Pharaoh. Like he had some, was born into, or not born into, but he was adopted into this, this family of prestige. Acts chapter 7, verse 22 says, 
Uh, and this is Stephen talking, giving us a little more context about Moses growing up at this time. He says, Moses would be educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So just to give you a little context there, um, I want to get to our first piece of text. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. If you have your phones, you can turn them on. Exodus 2, Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. It reads as thus, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. 12 says, after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Verse 13 says, the next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? I pause there purposely because we're going to come back to that a little later. He says, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you did that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, I love that line, and sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Raul, their father, he asked, why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. Moses still had on his Egyptian clothing. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he, their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation and settled there with him. In time, Raul gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later, she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. And I love 24. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Amen. The Lord always adds blessings to the readers, hearers, and doers of his word. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll continue on. Father God, I just thank you right now just for the privilege of sharing your word. Uh, this is for all of us, God. Like We are, we are, are waiting um, for you to pour into us, God, so we can pour out. I just pray right now, God, that meditation of my, my heart. Uh, the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. You are my God, my Redeemer. Yeah, I just thank you for mercy. Um, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, decrease me that you may increase. Amen. See, as a member of Moses or a member of Pharaoh's uh, household, Moses had a life of privilege. He lived a life of privilege, but he was still a Hebrew. Exodus doesn't tell us how long Moses lived in Pharaoh's household. But in the book of Acts, again, Stephen tells us that there's a 40-year time jump between Exodus chapter 2 and 10 and Exodus 2 
and 11. There's 40 years that takes place there. So we pick up with Moses today in our text at about 40 years old. Our text tells us that Moses went to check on his people, his people, which were his Hebrew brothers, his Hebrew sisters, the Israelites that were enslaved to the Pharaoh. And the scripture tells us that he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrew brothers. And this word see in the original Hebrew is not just like a, like, oh, you just visually see something like you're looking. It's a word or a phrase that means more to you see something and it evokes a, a particular emotion. And this emotion um, in this context is specifically compassion. It's the same phrasing that's used in Genesis chapter 2 when it says God looks out and he sees and he has this. E see, that's the thing about God. This ain't on the paper, but I love things. Well, God is intrinsic, meaning what his character is, it comes out. God just don't see something in a problem and don't act on it. That's one thing I want. One of the things I love about our God. So Moses, kind of in that same in that same heart and that same mind, he sees this issue going on and he wants to do something about it. He wants to do something about it. See, I believe that there are two types of people in our society when it comes to seeing issues and wanting to solve issues, maybe social issues or just issues. You you have people that have the resources, people that have the influence, people that have the power to make change, but just don't care enough or maybe don't have time enough or maybe are just ignorant or indifferent to the issue. On the other side, you have people that, that care really deeply about issues, uh, want to help change the issue, but don't have the resources, don't have the influence, don't have the time, don't have, uh, or don't have the, necessarily the power. They have the time, but don't have the power necessary to make that change. Another thing I love about our God, God has the power all the time, all the time. He has the power and he cares. Put those two together and you have change. You have movement. You have our intrinsic God pouring out his goodness, his mercy, his grace, bringing power and change. And we see Moses kind of in that same vein, like, Hebrews actually, I'm going to read this so you don't think I'm making this up. I want you all to send Gary emails to my blaspheming out there. That man blaspheming. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26 tells us actually some of what was going on in the heart and the mind of Moses. It says that, 24 says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. 26 says, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. So we have Moses seeing his people's problems. His heart is overwhelmed with compassion for them, and he sees this Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrew brethren, and what does he do? He kills him. It's like... Bro, like, what, what are you doing? Like, there's other things to do other than straight going to murder. Like, and I know the top ten list hadn't been given to Moses yet. God's Ten Commandments, right? If you read down, there's one of those that says, thou shalt not kill. I know that that, like, hadn't been, like, proclaimed yet. But it was never okay to murder anybody. Ask Cain and Abel. Like, it was never God's plan or intent for that to happen. So we see Moses killing this man. Just like we see Anakin Skywalker 
who's in a situation and he's overflowed with emotion. He's like, I got to save my mom. And he kills these Tuscan Raiders. Anakin gives in to his emotion and he goes on his own authority and he kills all those Tuscans. And that was instrumental in his path and his turn to the dark side. And you see, Moses being brought up in Pharaoh's household, it didn't give Moses immunity for this murder. And Pharaoh, the scriptures tell us that Pharaoh tried to have Moses killed. And Moses ran because Moses was a murderer. Moses intervenes. He kills this man. And the scripture is very clear. Like any true crime fans, podcast listeners, y'all like your crime stories. This dude, Moses, murdered this man with intent. It says he literally dug a grave in the sand. He looked around to make sure nobody was looking. Like that's just not some accidental type. Oops, I, you know. This is like Moses really awesome villainous, you know, ruhaha kind of stuff. Like, and apparently Moses thought he was being slick about this, but he forgot that there was a witness, and it was the person that he saved. And rather than seeing Moses as their savior, they looked at Moses as the villain, and rightfully so. They said, "What are you going to kill us like you did that guy yesterday?" Man, that had to have been a real crusher for Moses. I don't know if you've ever had rejection or some type of, you, you set out to do something good for somebody and it just kind of blew up in your face. And it kind of sometimes is even worse when it's your own family, when it's your friends. And like, so I can't imagine like how crushing this would have been for Moses. Moses thinks he's fulfilling his call. I'm going to save them. And it just blows up in his face to his own, it was his own, consequences, right? You just can't murder people. That's not cool. It's not a good thing to do. So Moses runs from the murder charge. He flees to the desert of Midian where he meets Zipporah, uh, the daughter of of Jethro, the shepherd, and he begins working on their farm and he marries uh, Zipporah and they have a family. So we we have Moses here who alienates himself economically because he no longer has the resources of the pharaoh growing up in Pharaoh's household as a privileged man. When he committed this murder, that was over. We have Moses who alienated himself from his people, his own Hebrew brothers and sisters. He was alienated from them because they were afraid of him and didn't want, them, didn't want him to rule over them. We have Moses who alienates himself from his culture, where he grew up in, because he can't look at it. He can't go back there because the Pharaoh wants to kill him. So at this moment, I think Moses becomes a villain to his Hebrew people, he becomes a villain to the Pharaoh. And I truly think at this moment, Moses has become a villain to himself. Moses fleeing for his life, he probably felt that God's plan for his life was completely defeated. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those crushing situations where it just feels like, God, this can't be it for me. Well, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go try something else. I'm going to insert what we do there. He probably thinks that it's over. Um, Any chance that he ever had to deliver his people was now over and there was nothing he could do. But here's the thing. At this very moment, at this very point, Moses was right where God wanted him to be. Why? Because Moses, or because God still wanted Moses. See, some of us are here this morning and God has you right where he wants you to be. Because God wants you. God wants you. God wants us. 
Because he has a heart for us and he loves us. So that brings me to my first point. Don't let your experiences move you away from God. Look at them as something that can draw you closer to God. You see, some of us have been discouraged or have given up because we feel like we're not fulfilling our purpose. Or some of us have been discouraged because we used our giftings and it didn't turn out the way that we thought it should or it blew up in our face. Or there was uh, some real life traumas that came out of those experiences. Or maybe we had some experiences where they turned out great and that thing was a snowball and it just kept rolling and rolling, got bigger and bigger and bigger and took more of your time, more of your energy, more of your efforts and it just got too much to handle. And it's just like, ah, I can't, ah, I just can't do it. Whether our experiences sometimes are good or bad, whether they turned out great or not, maybe that was a way for us, just like Moses, to go to Midian. To go to Midian. And Midian is a different path in life, right? I'm here to let you know that God is still with us in Midian. God is still with us in Midian. He's sharpening us in Midian. He's strengthening us in Midian. He's healing us in Midian. He's protecting us in Midian. He's providing for us in Midian. He's sustaining us in Midian. God is still in Midian. Don't let that Midian experience, that experience in the valley, be something that you think that God is too far. No, use that as something that can draw you back closer to God. God ain't scared of your Midian experience. <laughs> as scary as it can be, I'll preach to myself. I wish it was a mirror up here. I'll preach to myself. As, ever, as, as, as scary as it could be getting up in front of the church and preaching, God is still with you and sharpening you. With the, uh, I want to talk about y'all. I'll talk about myself. I can't get in trouble that way. <laughs> you see, your giftings are there. Our giftings are there. And when God says it's time, all we have to do is just say, Lord, here I am. Just like Moses did. God, here I am. Moses had all the excuses in the book. I can't talk. I can't do this. I... All we have to do is say, here I am. God used Moses in spite of his, his villainy, in spite of his imperfections. See, our experiences aren't always going to be perfect. Moses killed a man. Moses ran. As I said, Moses made excuses. Moses couldn't speak the best, so he says. Uh, Moses got angry. Mark, Moses argued with God to the point where the scriptures tell us that God's anger burned against Moses. You don't read that too often without there's some real he like hefty consequences coming after that. But they had this relationship where they spoke face to face. God still used Moses. Because it was never about Moses. Moses even missed out on the promised land. Let me be very clear. There were repercussions for Moses killing this man. Redemption does not mean that you are absolved from natural consequences. I want to be real clear. But that is not beyond the redemptive power in God. God can use anybody he chooses. And see, that's the good news. And why is that the good news? Hear me real good. God doesn't need your perfection. But he wants your willingness. God doesn't need our perfection. He got Jesus for that. Jesus covered that. He got that thing worked out. Only begotten of the Father. Perfect. We redeemed. Blood covered. Amen. Or I'm in church this morning, right? Y'all blood covered? Amen. So Jesus got that thing covered already. All we have to do is be willing. All we have to do is be willing. God 
wants our willingness. God uses us in spite of us, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our imperfections, because God can use anybody for any purpose that he sees fit. On my, uh, on my IG Instagram, I, got, uh, I, I like to do this thing where I love to barbecue. I was talking to somebody at the first service. They're like, you are really a dad, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. I got barbecue analogies and Darth Vader. I'm aging myself, I guess. I don't know. I love to grill. It's therapeutic. And I have a family of six. I don't like standing in the kitchen for four hours. Anybody cook at home with a big family, know? I got a grill. I can fit everything on. Y'all eat and leave me alone. I'm about to go do something different. But I got some pictures up there. Sorry if you didn't eat breakfast. <laughs> So I got this, this seasoning, I got this rub. It's a bunch of my favorite spices, a bunch of different seasonings, and I put it all together and I season my meat and veggies or whatever. People tell me it's good. I'm not going to toot my own horn. It's not the thing to do, but people tell me it's good. <laughs> I really wish that sometime, you know, like I got that little bottle of season all. I really wish sometime God would just, as we sleep at night, he'd get his bottle of season all out. Sprinkle us with grace, sprinkle us with experiences, sprinkle us with sharpening, <laughs> sprinkle us with, with teaching us things. Like, and then we wake up, and we're on fire for the Lord, ready to go, everything we got in life. We just wake up one morning, and it's like, yeah, we Moses, we ready to lead the people to the promised land, right? That'd be great. But in my finite thinking, that's not how God works, right? God uses those experiences as the seasoning. And we see Moses here being seasoned by God. It's not an overnight process. It takes time. It takes time. Our, the process involves our experiences. Moses' giftings, his characteristics, the things that made Moses such a powerful leader just didn't develop in him overnight. The experiences that he went through, a miraculous way of ending up in Pharaoh's home, uh, learning the Egyptian language and the culture, trying to protect his Israelite brother in the first time and the second time, protecting Jethro's daughters as we read when the shepherds were trying to not let them get water, how he ran them off and saved them. Spending all that time, 40 years, tilling to Jethro's flock. All of these experiences, God used them in a way to prepare Moses for his calling. Y'all think I'm making it up. I'm going to give you an example here. As a prophet... Moses was God's representative to the people of Israel, amen? We have the benefit of hindsight. We have the blessing of having the entire scripture perfected, and we can read it. If you go back and look at the text, the thing that Moses or the, the Hebrew brothers say to Moses is, who made you a judge over us? The ironic thing, we can kind of look back and say, well, God did. <laughs> but it just wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. Moses had went off on his own without the seasoning, without the experience, and he messed up. But we see Moses' heart for people. The giftings were always there. The giftings are there. It just need a little more seasoning. He went about it the wrong way, and there wasn't uh, without consequence, just like Anakin Skywalker did. But the heart and the compassion of his people we see in the text, wanting to protect his people when he ran the shepherds off. Moses' giftings and characteristics just needed that seasoning of 40 years in Midian, 40 years in the wilderness. And what was he doing there? Let me be clear. 
That was the, I said, uh, redemption is not without consequence. That was the hardest 40 years that Moses had ever experienced in his life. He went from a life of prestige and power to a, a life of cleaning up after animals, to a life of being hot all day in the sun, working hard, raising a family. And I love my children dearly. I love y'all. Sometimes as a parent, boy, ooh, it get hard, don't it? <laughs> He's raising his family, right? Some of y'all were little kids. Yeah, I know. It can be taxing in a sense. But we see Moses here in the ordinary day-to-day for 40 years doing the mundane, everyday, day-to-day things that make up an ordinary life. See, our median experience, our experience in the valley is just as important as those high-top experiences that we want with God. We live most of our life in Midian. We live most of our life in the valley, doing the day-to-day things, and God is still with us in those day-to-day things. That's encouraging to somebody because I know you want the high mountaintop, and those are great with God too. Moses had that. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Moses had that even on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Moses also had 40 years of everyday mundane, just ordinary things. We can give God the glory through the ordinary, amen? In Midian, God trains us for what's next. He prepares us for his call, the next season of our life. See, some of us are in the valley today and some of us are in Midian today. And we went there because of some kind of rejection, because the rejection doesn't feel good. We went there because of some kind of fear. Something scared us there. Uh, reluctance or some type of self-doubt because we think that God can't use us anymore. I'm here to let you know this morning that the devil is a liar. The truth ain't in him. God can use anybody for any purpose that he sees fit. Your experience in Midian, God is just seasoning you for something greater that comes later. Amen? Amen. Moses would go on to be arguably, like I said, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. But Moses' actions, as I said, were not without consequences. Moses would spend 40 years toiling. But Moses would end up becoming God's mouthpiece. First to Pharaoh and then to the Israelites. God even gave Moses, as I said earlier, the top 10 list. I'm amazing myself again. I guess I'm a Tonight Show fan. The top 10 list. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. God would use Moses to do great things. While on the mount, actually, Moses doesn't even make it to the promised land. More natural consequences, right? God tells him, speak to the rock. Moses speaks to the rock. Or God tells Moses, hit the rock. He hits the rock. Tells him a second time, this time speak to the rock. Moses hits the rock. Doesn't get into the promised land. But God still wanted Moses. So guess who's standing, like I said, on the Mount of Transfiguration? He didn't get into the first promised land, but he sure is in the second one. In true vineyard fashion, I got two points I want to leave us with. Because as we look at the the last verse of our text, I think it's the most important verse. It says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God turned his attention to Israel, not because of Moses. It was never about Moses. But it was about that promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I will be your God and you will be my people. God made a similar promise to us. A better covenant through Jesus Christ. It's 
says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will redeem you. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you've gone. I am for you. So there's two things I want to leave. Two next steps. I want you to see someone this week. But see them with compassion. If, you, if your wills are turning and somebody popped into your mind right now, give them a call. The Spirit's leading you to FaceTime, text, send a, a card. Good thoughts. Moses is one who shares God's heart. So share God's heart with somebody this week. The second thing I want to leave us with is stop thinking that there are parts of your story that are beyond the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. See, some of us have become the villain to ourselves, and we have to forgive ourselves. Because that forgiveness is the next step out of Midian. We as people, sometimes we make plans and, you know, we think we should be a certain amount of time uh, further in life. and We make our plans, do our thing. Sometimes God's plan for our life is radically, more radically different than we can ever think or imagine. So if you're feeling how the Lord deals with me, and this is just me, like sometimes I feel like it feels like a finger is just kind of like gently nudging me, kind of just, hey, like tapping me. You feel the spirit nudging you toward wanting to be out of Midian? Say it's your time to step back into your giftings, step back into your boldness. If you feel that nudge today, I want you to come up for prayer. That would be the next step. So prayer team, could you come up, please? God wanted Moses and God wants you today. As I said, it's not by mistake or happenstance that you're here this morning. God wants you. He's ready to bless you in spite of you. So the worship team is going to sing one more song. And if you feel led, come on.